Sean, right out of the gate, I want to get to something very fast. All right, let's do it. So there was an article that came out last week via Vulture, and it was this investigation of Rotten Tomatoes, and it was titled The Decomposition <laughs> of Rotten Tomatoes and the fact that they paid reviewers um, or a uh, publicity firm paid produ producers, I almost said, paid reviewers $50 to write a review for the movie Ophelia, which starred Daisy Ridley. Um, so, of course, this is just, you know, launching into the whole realm of, oh, my God, everything is skewed on Rotten Tomatoes, blah, 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 blah. However, it still remains, I think, pretty uh, a, a pretty real statement and a pretty honest statement that Rotten Tomatoes is one of the biggest uh, outlets in the industry and is very coveted when it comes to the studios. They want that, uh, you know, fresh whatever it is, fresh rating, all that bullshit. So the reason I bring this up now is that um, I have applied for Rotten Tomatoes three times now, okay? The first two years, I heard nothing. No, no response, nothing at all. This past Saturday, Ooh. I publish a, uh, a, a, I almost said a review, an article from Gaius, uh, who is just kind of talking about how we've, you know, the Vulture article is saying everything that we already knew, the Rotten Tomatoes is a mess and Rotten Tomatoes is, is, is shit, basically. <laughs> Today, I get an email from Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. And the email states that, uh, let me actually pull this up so that I don't, um, misrepresent their words because this has yeah, been really they'd hate, they'd hate to be uh you know misrepresented yeah this has been really grinding my gears for <laughs> they're the all about the uh, truth that tomatoes. <laughs> so this is what i get thanks for your application and your patience during our review process unfortunately we're unable to offer you tomato tomato monitor tomato meter approval our team finds that your samples and your reviews lack analysis oh a key value we look for in approved critics. And then there was grammatical errors in one of them, I guess, which I'm not denying. <laughs> like, I, write these, I write these quick sometimes and, yeah. uh, you know, that went in. Um, I find it really interesting, though, that I've never heard from them before. Never heard from them when I've applied two other years. And then I hear from them this weekend. I was honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed because I expected that story to go a different way where you actually finally got offered the like to, to, to monitor st status and it was to like, you know, shut you up. It's like, if you delete this article, we will happily like, take you on in the tomato meter family. Um, I mean, I, I've said this before in one of my rants. I think it was one of the first rants we did. Rotten Tomatoes without this scandal is already bullshit and it's something that people take way too much into buy like too much, too much into like their seriousness into the Bible of uh, like you know this this ninety two percent movie isn't as good as this ninety one percent movie. What's the deal with that? Rankings are so ridiculous with this stuff. Um, so I'll say like oh the scandal came out first of all. Th there's kind of a no shit level like of right, this right. is kind of happening, which is the point of Gaius's article. <laughs> yeah, and so like all of that in mind, I've already like disliked Rotten Tomatoes. I don't take stock into them. Um, it, it's an aggregate. It's not a real thing. There's not one person deciding what number each of these gets. Well, I guess now there is, but um, <laughs> like that, that's not the purpose of this. I still remember the biggest one was Lady Bird when it got hundred percent for the longest time. It hurt the film because people were leaving Lady Bird being like, yeah, it was good, but it wasn't hundred percent good to which I replied. So would you have given it a, a red tomato or a green splat? 
And they would have been like, oh, well, I would have given it a red tomato. I'm like, there you go. It's talking about mass appeal of something. It's not talking about the actual ranking of a movie. Like, it's, it's not saying it's a 100% movie. I, I personally think it is quite a damn good movie. But, like, it's not saying it's a 100% movie. It's saying that 100% of the critics liked it. And the, the website itself is irresponsible in them, like, having tomato meter rankings of yeah. actors and stuff when they, when they publish that crap. And then it's like, well, this means that uh, heat is technically not as good as collateral. I'm like, that's where we get really goddamn stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, it kind of really grinds my gears. I think the part that really frustrates me about this email is that they say that like my reviews lack analysis, which is kind of frustrating because like there's yeah certain reviews I'll focus on certain things and maybe not cover like the editing or whatever, because it's not a sexy enough topic for me to even care about for certain films. Um, and also my intent from the very beginning when I started Guy at the Movies four years ago was that it was to focus on communicating with like the masses and, and taking away some of the pretentious bullshit that you get from some reviews um, and just kind of being a different voice. So it's interesting that they don't like value that piece of it. Um, but I also wonder, I, again, I wonder why it came today. Well, oh, by the way, the other piece I didn't, re- I didn't uh, reference here or tell you about is I applied in March. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, of course this is like, you know, you, we, we could say tinfoil hat on this whole thing, but I would argue that those tinfoil hats are justified. This is science, baby. Those suckers immediately like looked at your stuff. They saw that post and they said, all right, let's just knock this guy right off. Um, It's sort of ridiculous, but I don't know. I, I, it's weird to say I wouldn't want to be a part of a club that, that would have me as a member. I don't think I even want to be a tomato-proof critic. Yeah. Now, if, if they contacted me and they said, hey, you're a tomato-proof critic, oh, of course I'll, like, you know, skip my way into the uh, stratosphere with it. Like, like with it, <laughs> casting away all of my scoops. <laughs> but at this point, it's like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to really try for this. I don't want to be a part of their shit, especially, especially with it. First of all, hated them before the scandal came out. Still not a big fan of them anyway. Well, and what I'll say is I think that they need to – fix themselves internally mm-hmm. and i'm not a big fan of them as they are right now so like at the like am i disappointed yes do i really care at the end of the day at this point no um which leads me to just saying fuck rotten tomatoes right now so fuck rotten tomatoes fuck rotten tomatoes let's go hey, everyone is part of the family at this point it is my fan fiction idea that i had so this movie was garbage <laughs> You are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> How? Yeah, you're lucky to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up. So chaotic. Welcome to the Guide to Movies podcast. We are recording on Monday, September 11th. Never forget, we honor everyone who lost their lives uh, and has co- continues to be affected by the uh, the tragedies that happened 22 years ago. It's really wild to me. I still remember watching it. Absolutely um, crazy. September 11th, uh, 2023, also is the day after opening season, uh, the opening Sunday of the NFL when the Eagles beat Sean's Patriots 25 to 20. But it was a very close game, and I was nervous as shit at the end. Like, we didn't do, like, any sort of fun. I just, I think both of us forgot that, like, our teams are playing. 1,000%. Yeah, like, I I just, like, it was, like, during the game, or even, like, when I talked to you today, where I was like, oh, wait, shit, it was the Eagles. Oh, dude. So, yeah, that was, um... Uh, right now, Pat, Patriots fans are just being ultimate losers, being like, this was actually pretty good for us. We didn't expect this to go as well as we did. 
which really like makes me makes it suck even more because it was a pretty rough loss. But honestly, I, it was pretty good. <laughs> like, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah. that. Like, I mean, it wasn't the Giants and it wasn't uh, the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we had uh, some really rough outings yesterday. <laughs> oh, there, there are some teams that are in a lot hotter shit right now than the Pats. I'll take like you know, also being a Pats fan now. Like I used to be miserable during like the Brady heyday because it was just like if we'd lose a game, it would be like. I guess we won't win the Super Bowl this year because that's just what we were expected to do. So now it's like it's kind of fun to just be like, okay, cool. If we win, I'm happy. But I mean, we're not like we're not getting past the Bills. Probably not getting past the Jets. Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, it was funny today. Some of the memes that were coming out for the Giants in particular. It was like, the, and the Giants have been eliminated from playoff contention. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I I will say the Brady ceremony. Um, Dude, dude looks weird. I mean, he doesn't look bad, but he just looks so like Hollywood now. I mean, he put on the jersey. He just, I, I don't know. I think he's gotten a lot of work done, but uh, he still looks like a good looking guy, but it just like looks like he's more Hollywood than ever. And so he looks like a Ken doll. His face looks like it's a Ken doll. very Ken doll now. And it's like, you know, God bless you. You look good no matter what, buddy. Keep it up. But it, was just, it just felt like he didn't feel like an athlete anymore, which, you know, I guess when you retire for a year, you're not an athlete anymore, but you know, rock on brady you do you thank you for like everything <laughs> thank you for everything that you've done for with how many super bowls was it <laughs> it was uh six super bowls um and that well I, I say six for the Pats, but i even i even count that seventh one because let's face it i was rooting for the damn bucks then i think every Pats fan was so oh seven god. in total six for the Pats. oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> all right well we are recording on monday so let's dive into some of the stuff that we want to talk about here uh the first is a set of trailers that we got, and I'm going to cut some of these just to uh, to move through tonight. So we're probably going to have a shorter episode. But the first is the bike riders, um, and this is with Austin Boy. You're already laughing. <laughs> it actually looks kind of good, but there's just some ridiculous shit in this. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, it's what written and directed by Jeff Nichols tells us the fictional story inspired by the 1967 photo book of the same name by Danny Lyon and stars an ensemble cast and includes Jody Comer, Austin Butler, Tom Hardy. Forgot Tom Hardy was in this, by the way. <laughs> uh, Mike Face, Michael Shannon, and Norman Reedus. Like this is a cast. It's a really good <laughs> cast. I just don't know. Like I don't know. If I have any interest in the movie. <laughs> It's just so strange how seriously they're taking this movie. Um, I think it's really good. I heard I, I read an article about this, and I'm really happy that this happened. Um, it's like a great move for exclusivity or inclusivity, if you will, and progression. That uh, for the dialogue coach and the accent coach, they hired an actual Chicago deep dish pizza. Um, I think that that's really beautiful. I think it's creative. <laughs> this, this, I, I won't lie. If you were to say this, <laughs> this trailer was an SNL sketch, I would believe it. This is not to say anything bad about any of these performances. I bet they're all going to be good. Like they all look like it's going to be fun. It's just such a ridiculous movie. This is the movie I have no way of predicting what this is going to be. It's gotten reactions at festivals that are pretty much like, mid positive i guess so this is jeff nichols too who is awesome and who hasn't been around in a while so i have faith in him but i don't know sometimes when like tom hardy is usually mumbling but now he's mumbling more jody comer that's not a, how a re, any real person talks god bless her but I'm, I'm so curious about this this cast looks so cool i'm i'm, I'm very excited for this yeah it, it this is just weird uh, austin <laughs> butler's having a really weird year though when you think about like the bike riders and then before it moved dune 2 like just two very opposite <laughs> Well, and this is strange because this is this is what Austin Butler actually is, and most people only know him as Elvis yeah. and the guy in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but they don't even know him there because he chameleoned so well with Elvis 
that I look at this kind of movie and people are like, wait, Austin Butler really changed for this. No, 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 this is him. This is skinny old Austin Butler, like, you know, kind of like goofy looking and, but like is working a, a bit of a James Dean angle. I think Hardy's doing Brando. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, this is so strange. And I remember watching this trailer kind of with my jaw on the floor, but still being like, yeah, I'll take a ticket for this. This is even a weird, like just a weird one to talk about. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. So you see me pausing. I don't know what to like really expect or think. Or I, I mean, it, it's it, it's interested me. It's hooked me, but uh, it's silly. <laughs> if it wasn't for the stack cast, I would say that they're probably trying to just dump this movie when there's nothing else coming out. Like... Yeah, and it's like it's it's running the festival circuit. So when you run the festival circuit, you do have most of the time you have confidence in your work. Um, because I, I always think about A Star is Born, where A Star is Born didn't have to go through festivals. A Star is Born could have easily been just a studio pick. You know, they didn't need to get buzz going. So they knew they had something great on their hands. Yeah. And um, I, I, I always think like when something submits for a festival when it doesn't have to, I, I always think there's got to be something great here. And I think there is something good. I think this is going to be one of those things where just like most movies in Boston, where the accents are going to be way too ridiculous, but the performances still will be good. And so that's where like that line might like be a little bit more thinner than we think it is here. Or what than I think it is. What movie has the worst Boston accent? Oh like, god, the most well, offensive Boston accent. It's so difficult because it's it's Ben Affleck and Goodwill Hunting, kind of, but he also is from Boston. But he <laughs> he enhanced it so much that it was brilliantly made fun of in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when they did Goodwill Hunting too. And just Ben Affleck comes back with like the, I don't like the sound of them apples, Will. What are we going to do? And it, it is just like, I think that might be it because it was just so enhanced. Um, unfortunately, most Boston accents, even when the performances are good, don't sound good. But the problem is the more ridiculous a Boston accent is, the more like the best way to say it. It's still actually a, a, a proper Boston accent. Like, because when you actually hear them talk right, like outside of Foxborough, they do sound that ridiculous. But people think you're putting on something so you know the more enhanced it is the more silly it gets and then things just go out of control from there is it really just boston like because you don't have an accent no i mean yeah connecticut like there's really no accent unfortunately um you know i i the one thing i really mess with especially with a friend of the pod matt um scallop is a scallop um <laughs> now scallop is connecticut scallop is uh, the rest of new england and so they got in trouble when they ordered seafood one time because he ordered scallops and they corrected him and they said, no, it's scallops. And I was like, yes, justification. <laughs> That's I see. I, I don't mind that one in Philadelphia. Like if you order water, people are like water. Oh God. <laughs> so Philly is always like, I always uh, joke about this where it's like New York, Boston and Philly. We all hate each other as sports fans, but we're all the same freaking thing. We all talk weird and we like, you know, <laughs> love sports more than our uh, like loved ones. Like <laughs> there's, there, it's it, like, we, the, but we all hate each other <laughs> in good old fashioned, friendly fun. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it like, I, I, th I think of a Philly accent. The best one I could think of is definitely Evan Peters and uh, mayor of East town, which he was doing both dr at one point he was doing drunk and a Philly accent. And I'm sitting there being like, Okay, this guy is like one of our most talented actors right now because that's damn impressive. Drunk and a Philly accent is basically the same thing. <laughs> they go hand in hand. So, 
Um, the next one is a Studio Ghibli film. Hayao Miyazaki returns with The Boy and the Heron. Mahito, a young 12-year-old boy, struggles to settle in a new town after his mother's death. However, when, in talking, when a talking heron informs Mahito that his mother is still alive, he enters an abandoned tower in search of her, which takes him to another world. This was adapted from, uh, I believe it's a book, How Do You Live? Yeah, they, they, I don't like that they changed the title because they had it for How Do You Live for a while, and I thought that was such a cooler title. Um, I mean, this... Have we ever had the Miyazaki talk? Have you seen Miyazaki's movies? I've never seen Miyazaki. Yeah, I mean, it, like I, I watched them all like over the pandemic, and I just absolutely love this guy. I mean, hand drawn animation, like just absolutely like heartachingly beautiful. Um, Spirited Away is like one of the finest films around, and the fact that he was able to get a best animated feature like on the second year of the category with Spirited Away is so great. Um, I plan on, you know, I don't know what like the first uh, movie my kid sees is going to be. I'm sure it's going to be like <laughs> Paw Patrol Takes Manhattan, but I would like them to see My Neighbor Totoro when they're young to understand because that's just like such a good kids movie. A lot of his movies are not kids movies. This seems like one that will not be a good kids movie. I don't think because they get they get graphic, they get intense. I mean, th his his last last movie because he did proclaim a last movie. I think in like 2015 or 2016 was uh, the Wind Rises, which is basically just about um, airplane developers who then their airplanes are used for the war. And it's like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the dub, and he's just like chain smoking the whole time, and he's realizing his dreams are gone as his wife is dying. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think this is for kids. <laughs> so, yeah, that's something. It, but I mean, it's it's such an exceptional movie, and it just like breaks your heart in half. But yeah, there's there's some of these just aren't for kids. Spirited Away is the closest on a line where it's like this could terrify every child. But his detail to the setting, and I saw that in the first moment of this kid running, I was like, okay, we we have a Miyazaki film on our hands, and it's gonna <laughs> be a beautiful one. And that's just where I'm looking at it. Um, we're we're gonna talk about festivals later. The reactions are it's strange. I think muted. But after like people have seen Spirited Away, they're like, well, there's nothing that's going to be better. Um, I think it's still good. I think everyone's saying it's still really good. Um, but uh, it's not as like blown out of the water as people are describing it usually for a Miyazaki film, which is always tough. Like this guy has to measure up to a career that's exceptional in every way. Um, I, I'm, I'm so damn excited for this one. I don't know. It's going to be so tricky when it actually gets released. They don't have a release date yet. Um, and like, will they do an English dub and you know, not that I say they need an English dub, but Miyazaki films do a good job or studio Ghibli. I should say do a really good job with their English dubs. They hire like actual, like exceptional actors. Like they get Liam Neeson, they get Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they get like, and they really do like actually do a good job with the dubs as opposed to what you normally see with those. So yeah. um, I don't know where this <laughs> comes from, uh, where, where it's going to like, you know, play I'll, I'll watch it with subtitles. So I don't mind. Um, this just looks so damn beautiful and haunting and everything about it. I mean, this one looks like one that's going to be tough for the kids, so I'm ready to watch it myself. December 8th is what they're saying on their website. Oh, that would be great. Oh, that's theaters. lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, I, I'm interested in this. I like when animation takes on more serious subjects and uh, adult topics. So yeah. I'm really interested in that. I'm also just, you know, the whole like legend of uh, of this director is just fascinating and now like the most recent reports are that like no he's not retiring <laughs> like he's he's continuing well i think he just just like he doesn't like this is not none of this speculation is run by him by the way he is this very i don't, I, I don't even want to call him grouchy but i think he's more just aloof of media his original goal was he didn't want a trailer for this film and in japan they didn't do a trailer for this film or any promotional materials and then of course you know Good old America, we need, we need to have that trailer, which 
fine. I would love, I like, I said to myself, I'm like, Miyazaki wouldn't want me to watch this. And then I was like, I don't give a shit. I need to watch this trailer because <laughs> I need to see some of this movie. And um, yeah, I mean, it looks great. I, I think, um, well, you know, I, th I think a Miyazaki pot will be in order. Um, I'll, I'll give you the movies to watch with his, but uh, oh, they're boy. all on, I, th I believe they're all on Max. I think they're so, on Max. Yeah, so I would just strongly recommend some of them. Obviously, Spirited Away is considered the best one. I don't think you could fight that, but uh, Totoro is amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I could just sit here naming Miyazaki movies, so I won't do that. All right, Ponyo, so you know, oh sorry, oh, what? <laughs> Ponyo. Uh, then there's uh, the wind also rises. Howl's movie. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. Anyway, um, let's go to the complete opposite of this movie, uh, mm -hmm. and this is a movie called Thanksgiving from uh, Ellie Roth, Eli Roth. How is it, Eli or Ellie? I think it's Eli. I think so. I, I, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no offense, but whatever. Uh, and there were this is is born out of a uh, a fake trailer from back yeah. in the day. I think it was like two thousand seven or whatever. It was in the grind. It was between the Grindhouse movies. Yeah. So it was when uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did their Grindhouse. They had this. There was an Edgar Wright one that was like Don't, which was very funny. And uh, this one was also quite fascinating. Yeah. So now we're getting um, the wonderful. Uh... <laughs> This is um, the synopsis cracks me up. So we're getting Thanksgiving, and this is starring Addison Ray and Patrick Dempsey. After a Black Friday ride ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. Like I don't even need to see a trailer, and I'm in. <laughs> like I I can't wait for this. I think that it is really fascinating to do something around the Thanksgiving holiday, and to release this movie when they're releasing it. Um, is like, I mean, think about how we were talking about all the horror movies that are not being released in October, yeah. And how, like, you know, you had not that Haunted Mansion is horror, but like Halloween ish. Um, and then you have uh, Saul that's like the 29th of September and all this stuff. Um, and then we have Thanksgiving coming out, and I think that it might steal a lot of thunder from some of these other films. I, um, I'm, I'm a little bit against this movie happening just cause I think like these were movies that are, that were fun jokes in a grindhouse. And sometimes those like quick jokes turning into movies just don't exactly go well. That's not to say anything about this. This still looks a lot of fun. I will say thank you for putting Rick Hoffman as I may be the lead in this. I don't know, but that weird looking dude just sitting at a table at the end. I was just like, that, that guy's got such a look that creeps you the hell out. God bless him. But, uh, and he's just like sitting at the table ready to eat at the very uh, the very end of the trailer. And I'm like, please make sure he's in most of this movie because that guy needs a better showcase. Um, you know, right now he's having a moment with like, you know, suits, <laughs> suits being rewatched. But um, I, I he's apparently providing the narration. Oh, I want to see him the whole time. But OK, OK, I'll get like he's he's got a cool voice, too. But uh... <laughs> oh, my God, it yeah, is interesting because I... I looked him up. I looked it up on IMDb and literally no one has character names. <laughs> so so I was like, he's not called narrator. It's just there's just nothing there. So fascinating. that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I, listen, I'm into it. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I'm excited. I love horror movies. Um, and this, uh, you know, if, if we get I'm, I still wonder if they're going to go silly with this. Well, it's tricky. I mean, they, they have like one really good kill in this. And Eli Roth is known for, you know, if nothing else, and sometimes literally nothing else, he is known for his kills and how creative they can be. And he knows how to really like fuck with an audience. So there's the, the, what, what do they do? They, they put her in hot water and then slammed her against the freezer oh or God. something. That's oh cool God. shit. Like that's good old fashioned family fun horror. I'm in for that. Family fun <laughs> horror. <laughs> I'm talking like let's see. We're, we're, I'm already dealing with Boy in the Haran. I gotta like link these up somehow. <laughs> Haran, Heron, 
Heron. It's a Heron. It's not a Heron. This is like when the Demeter happened, man. And I always thought it was Demeter because I only saw it in silent films and, you know, foreign films. So <laughs> Voyage on the Demeter, Demeter, Demeter. Oh, my Demeter. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Last one is a, a series. It's Monarch Legacy of the Monsters. Or Legacy of Monsters. This is Apple TV Plus's uh, Godzilla series starring the Russells. Um, and I, I thought this trailer looked really good. I, it actually got me really excited, and it's, it's a lot of the discourse online is people saying like, "Oh, I never had Apple TV Plus before, but now I'm definitely going to get it for this," which is probably what they're trying to do because it's so different for Apple to be doing a series centered around Godzilla when everything else is like Coda level artistry. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, this one, I I always like these latest Godzilla and King Kong movies, I like it when they focus more on the monster. And this unfortunately looks like it's focusing more on the political intrigue. And so there's a part of me that says, uh, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I could be in on this. Um, I love that the Russells are playing the same person, but young, well, uh, Wyatt is younger, which uh, that's a kind of cool move. I like that they're bringing John Goodman back from, uh, from Kong Skull Island, but I think only as him on Kong Skull Island. Well, obviously just him on Kong Skull Island, but I, I love that idea. And so they're just employing that. Um, it was weird because they're really tying all of the movies in with this series to the point where some of the clips felt like they, they were from like some of the movies. Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm all in for the tie in. Um, it sounds interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I've been down on these Godzilla movies cause I want them to focus more on monster than anything else. So, you know, as long as you, we can get some cool monster stuff, I, I don't need a story or characters for these. I know that sounds crazy coming from me, but I'll, I'll take the I'll take the uh, just monsters hitting each other more than anything. Oh, we will be getting Godzilla uh, Godzilla X Kong uh, in April of next year. Yeah, they, they, yeah, exactly. Good old writer's strike victim. Another oh one. My gosh. Where they definitely weren't done with it, and they're like, oh, oh yeah, no writer's strike. Yeah, <laughs> another one. Um, yeah. All right, let's get into what we've been watching. We want to spend some time talking about Ahsoka today. Ahsoka is four episodes in at the time of recording. Tomorrow the 12th is when the uh, Dave Filoni-directed fifth episode drops, and they're doing fan events for this. Uh, I think like 10 around the country, and one of them is actually down the street from me, um, which I didn't realize until a couple of days ago. And you have to go through GoFobo, so I'm sure that – or Gobo, GoFo, go, you know what I'm talking about? Like I, that I, I don't, but I bet if I saw it, I'd know. It's like that, like when they do like special screenings or whatever, and you can go online and try to get a, like a free ticket, um, and they basically like oversell or over distribute them, and then you have to get there and get in line. But people will camp out for this like all night, probably. Oh, um, yeah, it's gonna be crazy. But yeah, so Ahsoka fifth episode's coming out. Um, it's largely expected. First of all, we're gonna get into some spoilers here. Yep. Largely expected that um, Hayden Christensen's. Uh, Anakin Skywalker is going to feature heavy in this. We're probably going to get the introduction to Thrawn or of Thrawn mm -hmm. um, and maybe even Ezra uh, Ezra Bridger here. Well, this is where it's interesting because everyone at the beginning of the series said that, like, you know, Rosario Dawson said episode five is her favorite. Dave Filoni said episode five is his favorite. Like, everyone was hyping up episode five. And then episode four came and that stopped fans dead in their tracks and they <sighs> adored that episode. And, like, kind of the internet said, holy shit, we were wrong about this series because you you loved the beginning of this and I was actually a little bit more apprehensive. And I think this is an interesting experiment because you have not seen the Star Wars Rebels uh, animated series, correct? No, I have not. And I did. And so I was worried that this was going to leave you in the lurch and I was this, this series was only going to be designed for me then. And it kind of did a 180 where 
I had issues with seeing these characters as live action people. It just felt wrong to me. I felt like to the live action sets, no, there's nothing wrong with the actors. There's nothing wrong with the story really, but it just felt a little weird. I was like, I just want this as my animated rebel series. I love my little animated rebels characters. And it was just, it was a little bit unnerving seeing them in live action. And I thought that like, it was an interesting idea, an interesting setup. And then all of a sudden, so I was, I was a little bit mid to positive about it until episode four. And then just, this is what like you want from like Star Wars properties between lightsaber battles that legitimately are taken from samurai battles where they're pausing at each other and they're just not moving for the longest time, which some would find irritating. But I said to myself, <laughs> like, this is great because these two like absolute masters are straight up reading each other and they don't know exactly when to strike. And I see that and I'm just, I get more and more excited. And I just got so excited for the great fights, the great action in this. Um, it, it, it like th this was like a really great um, episode, and so I, I was I was a little bit unclear about whether I liked Ahsoka or not. And then fourth episode got me, and I'm like, I'm in. Let's do this thing. Show me more Purgles. Uh, yeah, I think I I'm I've been in from the beginning because I just think the acting is really good, mm -hmm. and I think Rosario Dawson is fantastic as Ahsoka. I can't imagine them pulling anyone else. Um, Ray Stevenson in this is, has been great <clears throat> as well, and I think he deserves all the accolades he's getting for the first few episodes. I'll also tell you, a lot of people told me, uh, and I was behind watching it, but a lot of people said the third episode was terrible. I didn't think so. I mean, I get it. It was a 29-minute yeah. episode, ultimately, or It was whatever. a bit of a filler. It was like an A to B, like a, a, a bridger, if you will. Uh, it well, was a bridge episode, yeah. <laughs> and not much, not much happens. But, I mean, actually, uh, let me backtrack on that. Something big does happen because you get the explanation of what – uh, what that thing is, the the yep. structure. The giant eye in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you get that explanation and there's some cool uh, battles in the, uh, you know, in space and stuff like that. So I was into it. I actually enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I think they're slow rolling out some of their stuff. Like a lot of people want to see Ezra. A lot of people want to see Thrawn. A lot of people want to see more of Anakin, who's been expected to be in this series from the beginning. Um, and they're, you know, this is an eight episode series and we're halfway through and we're actually getting, I think it's just really good. I think it's really good storytelling that is um, it, it it takes the best qualities of previous Star Wars work and learns the lessons from what didn't work in those, yeah. whether it's the Mandalorian, whether it's the book of Boba Fett or Mandalorian 2.5. Um, and, uh, you know, even Andor and stuff like that. Uh, and maybe even some of the other series that we've seen with like Marvel and stuff, because they've struggled with how to pack a story into six to 10 episodes or whatever it may be. So I'm really into what they're doing here. I also have been waiting for them to break out of the main storyline. And what Ahsoka is setting up is other galaxies, other stories. Other, it's not necessarily a multiverse, um, but it's it's other galaxies. It's other places that we can go to explore and to tell different stories and that's what star wars has needed for a long ass time well, and i think we're about to get that and that's why i was so excited when this series was announced for ahsoka because mm -hmm. ahsoka is like basically the you know the quick history of her character she was anakin's pupil um but then uh you know the jedi Wait. like what sorry no, go ahead. I, I oh. said she quit. She quit. Oh. oh, she quit. Yes, because the Jedi accused her of a bombing. They then said, "Like, hey, our bad. You want to come back to the Jedi?" And she was like, "No, fuck you. I'm out." And so <laughs> th that was mainly because they can't have her in the live action uh, prequel trilogy. But also, it's like a bold move from her, where she is now this like Jedi character that kind of walks the Earth alone. 
And that's where I was like a little bit down on this series at first. Cause I was like, I don't really want to see granted Ahsoka did occasionally in the rebel series, occasionally like, you know, jumped in with the rebels says, Hey, how you doing? And then she pieced out again, but she wasn't like a main character on the rebels. She would just float on and then she would like walk the earth alone again. Like she always did. And I wanted to see more of like that in this at first, I wanted to see her just like chilling on her own, like getting space groceries and stuff. But I mean, now this works with this rebel series. This works with this story. Um, and I like also just Ray, Ray Stevenson, um holy crap great great performance but also just a wonderful wonderful written character because we've seen many different star wars villains we've seen radical evil with uh you know the emperor and with uh with palpatine and palpatine palpatine and uh uh, anakin we've seen um we've seen chaotic evil with kylo ren but this guy's just like straight up calculated evil he kind of reminds me sorry sean's political corner he kind of reminds me of the republicans that like obviously hate trump but they're like "Uh, well listen what are we gonna do like i hate him too guys but what are we gonna do we're gonna and this is a guy that doesn't want to be as evil as he is but just kind of has to pick this side pick a side yeah you see him so tortured you see him knowing that they're fucked on so many levels what was it when he's like are you afraid he's like no i'm just experienced and i was like this dude rules man i love this villain so much because he's like as as, uh, matt described he's a, a soft villain and I, I, for lack of a better description, he's someone that like really could turn good. He's not going to, I don't predict him turning good, but he does not want to be where he is right now, but he's just looking at everything as necessary. He hates Thrawn. He doesn't like Thrawn at all. And well, he knows like, what's coming with they unleash yeah. Thrawn. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I listen, this is going to go bad, but we need him instead. And I, Oh, I just love him so much. And it's just <laughs> such a shame that he passed. Cause I, I think this is such a great role for him. I mean, he also played a, um, British Imperial in RRR, which was definitely a, a, a much flatter character for him. <laughs> like it was a little bit tougher, but in general, just so excited for like where his villainy goes in this. It's amazing. Well, where he went between the second and third episodes was nowhere. He just stood there at that portal thing <laughs> the entire time until the very end of the third episode. <laughs> I love that he's even a loser. We're like he's waiting for Ahsoka, and he like like a pimp. He has that little like hood up, and he's like he's kind of like just pimping out. He's like, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> like just shows up. I think oh. the la- the last line of the third episode is like they're in the woods. Go get them. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like, okay. That's what bummed me about that episode is like I I I made this comparison to someone else where I think that the, the last two episodes were very Deathly Hollows part one and part two. Like mm. part one was a lot of setup. Part two was a lot of action. You put those together, you got something damn fine. But apart, they do like they're they're missing a little bit of a connection with both of them. You know what's funny? I think we're also being reintroduced to episodic television through these yes, series. So true. Because, like, you know what I mean? Like, what you're describing is a fucking television series. <laughs> Good episodes, bad episodes. There's never been a series that, like, every episode, like, nailed it out of the park. Um, even, like, when Lost was at its its peak, it still had the episodes with, like, what were those? Remember those? tattoos and the two. The two the that they buried. That, uh, <laughs> the spider couple. Yeah, that was that was rough. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But I think they came back in the lost video game, by the way. Oh, um, yeah, but uh, no, like it just it, but the, this is television. This is what happens. And um, I've always said this from the beginning is that you can't I don't believe you can necessarily judge a series until it's all over. Yeah. Um, or a season, let's say a season. And I, I'm going to be interested to see what five does that like it's been hyped up so much. Um, but then what do they do on the back end of yeah. that? If they're hyping up the fifth episode so much. 
what do six, seven, and eight look like? Well, it's going to be very interesting because right now they're in, uh, this is me just geeking out completely. This is known as the world between worlds, which is like, they're not dead. Like as much people are spending, they're not dead right now. They're not in some sort of like, they're in the train station from Harry Potter. (laughs) It's a little bit like that where they can like go throughout all of time and interfere with time. And so they can like be jumping into like, they can go into flashbacks on this. So we could see a bunch of shit that like we've seen in movies before. We've seen in other series before. We've seen in animated series before. It like, and that has the potential to both ignite fans, but also maybe kind of piss them off. So like, it'll be, it's going to be a very interesting episode. And then the reaction is going to be, ever the more interesting which i can't well you know star wars fans <laughs> well, very very rough fan base <laughs> i will say very rough fan base and they were being really shitty about this show and then also the fourth episode i've never seen such a self-aware fan voice everyone just being like yeah we fucked up <laughs> they, just, they all said we were absolutely wrong this show rules and so at, at, at the very least they reflected and knew to you know turn tail a little part of this is because it's a heavily female cast and i when i yeah. first started watching i was like oh boy like fanboys must be losing their minds about this I, my main issue with the third episode which is where like most of the vitriolic reactions came from was there was a lot of stuff in there that just is usually used in the as i said this before the rebels animated series and probably would have looked a lot cooler in the animation and it was a little bit tough to translate live action i'm i'm thinking specifically of ahsoka doing a flip outside and like you know cutting up a spaceship (laughs) which would have just been so dope animated but it just didn't translate well with the live action it was still cool and i was i didn't think it was bad i i didn't think it was bad at all by any stretch of the imagination and people definitely reacted way too idiotically to it but i i think that like for me and for like, you know, if, if we think about Star Wars fans, if I'm understanding them somewhat, I think a lot of them were a little bit freaked out by just seeing live action characters when they've seen them animated for so long. I think that messes with people. And um, I mean, someone had the great suggestion that if they do flashbacks, that the flashbacks just be animated just to really <laughs> fuck with people. <laughs> well, we better get used to it because that's what's going to be happening with DC as well as the animated characters are going to be. Uh, whoever's voicing them and stuff, they're also going to be playing them live action. So I Creature do not Commandos. Dig that choice. I do not yeah. dig that choice at all. I, I I think that voice acting and live action acting is a sacred separation. Although, you know what? Forget what I just said, because Ray Stevenson was the voice actor of that character, and he's doing awesome, so you know what? Right on. <laughs> all right. Well, we just uh, contradicted ourselves that entire conversation, so let's jump, into, <laughs> let's jump into the news here. Pirates of the Caribbean 6 uh, is, we've known, has been on the way, and there's another movie that also is still kind of dangling out there it's a margot robbie led film um that is uh, axed it got axed but then apparently it's still around according to some reports um like they were just reworking it or something but the focus right now is on the six pirates movie which would be in the same uh lineage of the original five that uh starred uh johnny depp the big question here is, well, first of all, the news that came out is that Craig Maz- uh, Mazin, as well as uh, Ted Elliott, who wrote the, he was a co-writer for the first four Pirates movies, um, they turned in a script that they said was just so fucking weird that they were like, there's no way Disney's going to accept this, and Disney accepted it, um, and that's the script that they're running with. I don't understand, what, like, what is so weird about it? Like, that just has me titillated a little bit. I Yeah, there's a few things that, you know... First of all, Disney accepting it. I, I I don't know much about business acumen, but I do know that like buying a script is not that much for Disney. Like I'm sure they're just buying it to like keep keep uh, keep the property alive and possibly like you know keep them from going somewhere else with something that would be similar to a Pirates movie. So they just said, you know what, let's snatch up the script. 
I don't know how much it would cost, but I don't think it's that much for them to like keep it and put it in a drawer, which, you know, is a gross thing, but just happens all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, like these movies are already extremely weird and silly and stupid. I mean, the first one's the only one that makes a bit of sense and that has still has dancing skeletons. So like the rest of them are just absolutely like each one just loses itself in the narrative. So I like, as you can see from my tone of voice, I'm not even close to excited for something like this. I mean, I guess if the, if a series needed a reboot, Craig Mazin would be a pretty dope dude to run the reboot. So for that reason alone, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll love to watch him you know, try to remake this, but all in all, I'm just like, this, I, I don't think I've seen the last like two or three of these. So I'm just kind of done. Like it, I, I also just, you know, nothing to do with scandal. We're not going to get into that. Obviously. I just think that that performance was amazing in the first movie. And it's just so damn stale. Now it's the same one note stuff. It was so cool in the first one, but I like, this is the problem. I would see him in the trailers of those later ones. And even in the trailers, I would just get like depressed. I'm like, God, this poor dude is just doing the same shit, hoping for the same laughs. And I mean, it works because they make money, but still, I, I like move on to something else. It just seems like everything about like Jack Sparrow is just tired. Um, but I think that the, Disney doesn't want to, and the reason is it's a four and a half billion dollar series. It's money. I mean, it's printing money essentially. It's international too. too. It's huge international. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's more it. more international. I mean, they, it's made three over three billion dollars internationally. Um, but it uh, two of the movies went over a billion dollars, Dead Man's Chest and On Stranger Tides. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do here. Um, the article that I'm reading from Variety does clarify that after Robbie, Margot Robbie said that her movie was pretty much dead, that she didn't think they were going to do it. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who's a producer on all of the series, said that the script will come forward at a certain point, but the focus for... Uh, for now is on the sixth one. I don't see how they do this without Johnny Depp. Honestly, I think yeah. that they're going to, if they don't bring him back, it's not going to do well. They're going to, it's going to tank a little bit. Um, it unfortunately, it's a problem either way. Um, it's oh, just, yeah. Like, you know, when he's there, it's going to be nothing but a distraction that he's there. And people are going to be talking about that. If he's not there, it's obviously going to be a distraction. And then like, you know, there'll be the boycotts and the review bombing. So there's, there's honestly, there's just no good way to handle this situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, have him like, let's have Mads Mikkelsen be a pirate instead and see how that goes. Or, <laughs> um, all right. Do you think it would get a standing ovation? Because we need to talk about the Venice Film Festival screenings uh, and the standing ovations that they had. We don't need to talk about. We are going to talk about them, and I'm about to. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now the 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 major ones. Ready? Yeah, okay. Major. Well, so let, let's talk about the top one because I looked at this, and this is hysterical that this is the top one. You go. I what agro drift? agro drift. This is a movie exactly. So this is Harmony Corinne's movie. Um, and Harmony Corinne is always a, quite a um, risky, uh, risky filmmaker, if you will. This entire movie is, um, I, I don't I want to say it properly, but I won't be able to, is like basically like done on heat vision, like thermal vision. And so from what I heard from every podcaster that I listened to that went to this film festival, the majority of people walk out of this movie. There hasn't been one single person you've met that has liked this movie. So when I saw this at the top of the standing ovation, it's fascinating to me but then it also makes sense that maybe there was only like five people in the crowd and so those five people just stood up for 10 minutes and like, just like you know applauded it, it, it has a 40 percent on rotten tomatoes it was it was like absolutely vitriol towards this movie everybody hated this movie and so it's fascinating that that has the top standing ovation and that says a lot about standing ovations immediately right there so that's where i'm going to nip it in the bud <laughs> 
but yeah, you can keep uh, going. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, hey, listen, I know nothing about it, so uh, all for it there. Um, poor things got eight minutes. I'm going to run through a few of them here. Poor things got eight minutes. This is the uh, your. Oh, I always say his name wrong. Yorgos uh, Lanthimos, uh, film with Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I forgot Christopher Abbott was in there, and I think he's a really good actor. Uh, Memory got eight minutes, and also got Peter Sarsgaard the uh, best ma- best male actor or lead actor award. Um, so that's interesting. Priscilla got this is the uh, Sofia Coppola adaptation of the book about uh, Priscilla Presley's romance with Elvis Presley, um, starring Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elordi. Kaylee Spaney won best actress for this this was a seven minute standing ovation maestro from bradley cooper seven minutes dog man uh, which i have no idea what that is six minutes directed by luke Besson, so one of the uh canceled directors of the festival so uh, they had quite a few of those so yes they that did. has a lot to do with the uh with it as well i think yeah ava duvernay's origin uh six minutes ferrari six minutes hitman uh which was richard linklater's uh oh, yeah. five minutes that stars Glenn Powell, and a lot of people were calling it the sleeper hit of the festival. Mm-hmm. People love that one. Um, Netflix's The Killer had a five-minute. Henry Sugar had four minutes. Uh, it's a 40-minute film, so 10% of the film. <laughs> um, I wanted to do that math as well. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. You are the math teacher. Just uh, to put that back out there. And then a bunch of others. I mean, Roman Polanski's The Palace got three minutes, but also got shit on. As it's, it has like straight up 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> I believe. Woody Allen also got shit on. His was three minutes long. So, um, th- th- so those then that- rounded out the shitty director or shitty people. Also, you know, at this point, shitty directors. But So then what happens? Like, What is this all about, Sean? We've talked about this a million times but remind people how we feel about standing ovations well, so standing ovations are strange i've now gotten like perspective from a lot of people that go to the festivals they're just a very weird vibe when you're there you're kind of stand like you are just standing you're looking around you're like when do we sit when do we like it's a lot like stranger than people that you know are standing up for 15 minutes for banshees of inishir and it's instead just a strange vibe and it's not like the vibes are off <laughs> yeah it's so weird and you know i think poor things like I, I care more about the reactions I get because like you know the rea- it's so funny because the reaction for Agro Drift was absolutely horrendous and that gets the top standing ovation time. So then you can get something like Poor Things though, where Poor Things is now like at the top for uh, um, Oscar um, Oscar buzz, which is absolutely bonkers. But you know that like only got eight minutes, but still a decent amount of time. So I think I I, I always like granted the reactions that I get are also anecdotal, like they're only from a few people, but those few people are also talking to other people. And once again, that's all still anecdotal, but it's, it, it becomes more and more interesting um, when you hear like the word of mouth from each. Cause I, I hear like Maestro was, everyone was like, yeah, good, but it didn't blow people out of the water. Like, you know, a Bradley Cooper film would be expected to do. Yeah. So that says something about Maestro. Maybe it's still going to be great. Maybe it's still not, but that does like sort of like give a little bit more of a tepid reaction. So I think it's better to like, you know, if you hear from, you know, a few podcasts that went to the festivals, you listen to those people and then what they say other people thought as well. Now, once again, those are, that's bubble reactions, not legitimate, but if you listen to enough, you'll start to get a react, like a, an idea of what really succeeded. But I think the winner of like all festivals, <laughs> it won the golden lion, but poor things went from like being, is it too weird for the Oscars to no? it's going to be in the Oscars now. It's going to be solidly in the Oscar race, kind of su- surprising amount. Like they said, like they could see 10 nominations in certain categories. Obviously the technicals seemed good, but Mark Ruffalo might be in there. Willem Dafoe might be in there. Emma Stone was already pretty much in there, but 
like that's that's crazy. That yeah. the two there's going to be two supporting actor nominations, and it's not going to be from Oppenheimer, which is like that is bonkers level stuff. Well, I mean, there's still a lot of time to go. It is going to be a this weird is year. yeah. This is all like this is all gigantic what ifs. I should and mention. We also have to remember too that like this is a snapshot of people who pay to go to festivals mm-hmm. or are covering festivals who are giving us these responses. Um, and if anything uh, comes uh, should come out of our conversation about Rotten Tomatoes today, uh, it's that critics are one uh, one group. <laughs> Yeah, and it's this is always the strangest one because critics. Yeah, when what I'll say when critics' choice awards come by and like when all the critics uh, films like when when those awards come out, those are the ones that in terms of Oscars I completely and utterly ignore because critics are dog shit at, at uh, predicting the Oscars or even having an influence on the Oscars. This one is a little bit weirder because yes, it is like populated with a lot of critics, but it's also populated with a lot of actors, producers, and members of the Academy, and so. The, vo- the voice, it's still a little bit different. It's still a little bit more populous and obviously quite pretentious. Just all film festivals yeah. are quite pretentious. But it's definitely a little bit more of a reading than like just, yeah, straight up critics awards, which don't ever listen to those if you want to predict the Oscars. Still good movies that they make, but those they, they go the opposite way. In fact, you mentioned, um, oh, no, I forgot her name from uh, Priscilla. Um, Kelly Spaney? Yeah. The past three years, the award winner for Best Actress at Venice went on to a nomination. And so I, I kind of like shot back at you when you're like, this means a nomination for her, right? I kind of shot back. It's like, I don't see it. Now it's like you have to kind of consider it, which I Best Actress is very crowded this year, too. It's going to be a very, very tough one. I just wrote a column on it and I left out like three or four names that are now going to be in there. So uh, it's going to get uh, it's going to get tricky. It's going to get thicker, but uh, should be interesting without a doubt. I'm already looking at the expected nominees and thinking about how hashtag Oscars so white is going to likely be on the forefront again. It's pretty bad. Um, Just just in Best Actress or just in all the all the nominations? Most of the larger one, the larger. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can only think of Rustin, which I mean, Mm -hmm. saying that there's only one is not a great thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I got to look at that. That might be something I may talk about in a few weeks Mm -hmm. yikes yeah uh well it's never too soon or too early to start talking about the 2025 oscars uh so lionsgate has grabbed the crow remake uh this is the um i would never i would not touch this movie with a 10 foot pole seems weird to do (laughs) um this so the story with this is um the crow was a cult classic in 1994 um, and it follows a poetic guitarist who is brought back to life by a crow a year after he and his fiance are murdered, and the crow leads him through the world to find his killers. Um, it was the last performance by Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, died on set. Um, or, uh, died from an accident on set. Bill Skarsgård is set to star in this, uh, in the remake, and it also features FKA Twigs, Danny Houston, uh, Laura Byrne, Sammy uh Bowia uh, and Jordan Boger. Um, and it's directed by the guy that did Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, Rupert Sanders. So, yeah, I, I have not seen the original. Um, I think that the original is tricky <laughs> morally as well, um, considering that, you know, I mean, he died while making it. And, you know, there's it's, it's urban legend on whether or not the actual footage was used of his death in the film or not. And like 
some people have considered that maybe it is, which just feels very, very gross on so many levels. And so in general, I, I, I just want to stay away from this. I don't like that this is happening. I mean, Bill Skarsgård's doing a lot of remakes, and I support you in those for Atu, my guy. You do you. I can't wait, dude. That's my oh, Oscar race right there. Skarsgård is those for Atu, baby. Um, but in this, in this one, it's just – I, I, yeah, I don't have much of an opinion. I have, you know, The Crows on my watch list. So is every other movie on God's Green Earth. So we'll see if I ever get to it. Um, but uh, I, yeah, it's like the whole thing just seems like it, I understand it's a cult classic. So I understand that like maybe this could generate some uh, money, drama, whatever you want, like uh, like popularity, if you will. I don't think it's popular enough that like people are like really clawing for a remake. I think that people like when you have a cult classic, people just stick with the cult classic. Correct. Like, yeah, I yeah. totally agree with but, that. It's so weird. Yeah. It's it's like I, I this is like when they remade Point Break. Very different movie, obviously. But, you know, people like Point Break because it was made in 89 because it was made in a weird time capsule. It's like they don't they didn't like the bank robbery scenes. Yeah. Like, like this is just a strange move in general. I'm surprised they're not going like a, another sequel route. And instead they're doing a, Do a legacy sequel. Sequel. legacy sequels yeah. are in right now one of them got nominated for best picture last year they love those like do that all right sean introduce us to the question of the week this week the question of the week this is from kibler film freak um and i love i like this question a lot because I, I immediately thought of an answer um this says there uh, is there an overrated comedy from the 80s that you guys would like to see remade speaking of remakes um you want to go first no you hit right, me so I mean, I think about the movie 16 Candles um, from the 80s where it's a it's a classic. But if you look at like any five minutes of that movie, it is horrifically, horrifically fucked up in terms of it is not aged well at all. And yes, I like I understand the age well argument is tricky when it was in the 80s. It's of a different time, blah, blah, blah. But this is one where like you cannot watch this without squirming. The uh, the love interest um, gives his girlfriend, his drunk girlfriend a way to uh, the nerd to rape her. Like that's just like, besides the word rape, that is all in there. Um, and uh, you know, the unbelievably racist character of long duck dong, which already racist enough, but they've hit a gong every time they, he literally comes on screen and everything. And, but the core of this is that, you know, uh, she turns 16 and everyone forgets because her sister's getting married and she's dealing with growing up in a difficult thing. That premise alone is actually very solid and pretty good, but everything surrounding it is absolutely fucking horrific. Like bad, 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 bad. And like, I know I'm like, you know, shitting on people's classic, but if you watch it again and just really try to think of anything's okay in this. So they would need to remake this and just really, really like scorch earth this thing. Cause like you have to, you would need a committee to figure out what was wrong with this. Cause it is a lot. I would love to see this remade. I think there's a potential to have like the teen comedy and growing up and having issues growing up. There's one scene where, you know, she gets passed up like, you know, the, the, uh, the cute guy who, you know, once again, ends up giving his girlfriend a way to get raped. That's an actual moment in this. Um, he looks at uh, Molly Ringwald and Molly Ringwald looks back and then they like, you know, depart. And then she ends up like getting attracted by the nerd and stuff. Th there's something there where it's like, oh, there's always like a different level to this and always a tragedy and like reaching towards something better. I think that, you know, a modern version of this desperately needs to be remade so that that first one can, you know, I mean, I get it. It's a it's a time capsule, but to the level of Soul Man with C. Thomas Howell, where he does blackface to try to get into Harvard. Like, it's just this is some like fucked up shit that should should go in a box, unfortunately. In a box or be remade, apparently. <laughs> oh, well, the original should go in the box. Yes. Oh, my God. 
All right, I went a completely different route here, and it's actually a remake of a movie that I really adore, but I think that it could be done really well today given the advancements in not only technology, but also the type of film this is. So it's a musical comedy, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I like that. I like um, that. And I, so Little Shop of Horrors is, you know, the the film about the plant or the man-eating plant. Um, and it starred Rick Moranis and Steve Martin and Ellen Green. And it was tapped for a remake for a while. Uh, Taron Egerton was going to star as uh, Seymour. Um, and then... Well, see, I like uh, him as the dentist, but that's too obvious. The, I think. the dentist yeah. was going to be Chris Evans, apparently. Oh, Jesus Christ. There was no way this movie was going to get made <laughs> I was like, ah, so, but um, Little Shop of Horrors is, it, it's a musical comedy and it's obviously got a little like dark comedic twist to it. Um, but it is, it, it's a lot of fun and it still holds up to this day. But I just think that like in the vein of reinventing uh, previous musicals, like think about like Hairspray or mm -hmm. um, redoing uh, West Side Story and things like that. Like the story obviously isn't as impactful and it's more comedic than, you know, uh, societal uh, examination that West Side Story is and all of that. But um, I do think that it would play really well today. And I think that revitalizing that soundtrack and updating that soundtrack with some of the stars of today would be really phenomenal. Um, there's a number of songs from that movie that are still like, if you were to go to like, you know, the neighborhood in any city and go to a, uh, a show tunes night or whatever, they would be playing uh, probably Little Shop of Horrors, the main song. Um, but there's a couple others as well. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. Sean, you've seen it, right? I absolutely love this movie, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I do support a remake. I mean, it's so tricky because I love the aged way it's presented. It's very intentional. It's very like classic 50s movie in it. So I'd be interested to see where it would go in a different way. Like I'd still want it to do live action puppets. Um, and that that may not be the feed point. me Seymour. You need the live action puppet of the guy like that, and like I worry like you know this would be some sort of Tim Burton thing where he's like let's make it CGI and I'd get I that 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 part would scare me. But I uh, no I I love this idea just because I would love to see this like shown again and uh, mm -hmm. you know because I, I the original is really great. <laughs> do you know who directed the original? Oh no, I do, but I can't remember Yoda. Frank Oz! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is such a Frank Oz movie. Oh my God, that's so freaking true. Oh my God, I love it. It's really funny when you look at the movies that Frank Oz has done because it's oh, like... It's very weird. <laughs> score, uh, The Dark Crystal, Little Shop of Horrors, The Muppet Show, The Muppet Movie, The Muppets, The Muppet Christmas Carol, The Muppet Tigre. <laughs> Oh, boy. oh man. Um, so yeah, uh, listen, I, er, he didn't direct all those, but it was involved in some of them as well as a yeah. uh, performance with the puppeteering and all that. But yeah, I think they would, that would be a great one. I think Taron Egerton would have been a great choice for that. Um, no, you don't think so? No, I, I just I can't get my head out of him as the dentist, mainly because he would just do his part in Blackbird. And so it would just be, <laughs> he'd just be the same exact character there. So that's why I can't. No, I can see if I, I would like to see him as a Seymour. I could see that being good. Yeah. Well, apparently the remake is dead. So uh, yeah. there's that. But it'll come back. Someone will nab that up. <laughs> All right, let's go to rants and raves. I'm going to start off with my rant here. And this is like the mm. one that fucking drives me nuts. It's I love like, this. <laughs> so now we're in a world where you select movie theater seats and i don't mind that if it's a busy screening if it's a thursday friday or a weekend showing i don't mind that i think that's a smart way to go because otherwise you're like fighting with people and you end up in you know annoying uh annoying corners or whatever because people uh, don't know how to behave and spread out and all that shit um what drives me insane is when you go to a weekday screening or a week uh you know as a, a screening that's not well 
um, populated and you still have to select your seat because I end up selecting a seat that's like away from everyone and is not going to be like, I won't be in danger of having to deal with people. But then one other person shows up, sits across the way from me. And then I want to move to the center and I feel bad morally. Should I? Because the rule is you select your seat, you pay for your seat, you stay there. But what if someone else comes and they select, like say I move and I go to the center and suddenly someone pops up like 10 minutes into the movie, they were just late. And now I'm the asshole that I complain about at the other ones who are yeah. like just taking their seats and like not following the rules. So I don't know what to do here. It drives me absolutely insane help me <laughs> I, it's always tricky when i like um, i'm going to see like a kid's movie alone and then just right like i sit right next to like a kid but that's my assigned seat and then it's just like i'm just this alone dude and i'm like hey that, there, there's like, there's no good way to do it there's no good way and it's tough because like you look at the parent and you're like I'm I'm good, <laughs> but like that that's that makes it even more suspect. So there's there's no great way to figure this one out. Um, it it uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, yeah, so I feel you on that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what tough. do you got for me? I got a Project Greenlight. This is a uh, show that um, is uh, basically started with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, where they would take a director, pluck them from you know obscurity or independent uh, working, and they would give them the studio shot. Um, and every single time this has happened, the movie ends up not working out and not being good. Um, recently, uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon hung it up and gave it to Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani and uh, also Gina Prince-Bythewood. And they just said, you know what? We are picking a woman director. And th this comes from a pretty rough clip of Matt Damon when they said, like, hey, we should pick a – like this season before where they said, hey, we should pick a woman director. And Matt Damon – you know, he kind of get goes into this speech where he says, "Hey, we should go on talent instead of gender." And it's like it's one of those things where it's like Big Lebowski, you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. Where it's like, <laughs> I I get what you're saying, but also like we're in one of these situations where we need more women directors out there. It's incredibly like you know biased in sampling. So they just said, you know what? Just women are submitting this year. This is like a it's almost like a new project greenlight like on IMDb. It's like considered an entire new one. But they run into the same problems where they really just push this director into the um, – into like without really mentoring them or helping them out. And they just put them into this process. And I get that that's what real life would be. But the problem is you're filming it the whole way. And so this director never comes off looking good. They come off looking inexperienced because they are. And they need like the mentor's help a lot more. And in this one, Issa Rae went off to film the Barbie movie, and then you don't see Gina Prince-Bythewood or Kamal Nanjiani there either. And there, she instead has to deal with all these producers that like kind of help her out, but not really. And she like also they picked a director that is like very like socially awkward, which is fine. You can be socially awkward as a director, but she couldn't really commit her vision when like she she apparently directed the best like short film for them to select her, but then when they interviewed her, she couldn't articulate her vision at all. And that should have been a giant red flag. And instead they were just mad at her the whole time that she wouldn't like put her vision into this film. And I just like felt, I felt kind of bad for her. And then she doesn't look great coming off this. So who knows what her career is going to be after this. The movie is now on HBO max. And I watched it right after I watched the end of the series and it is pretty goddamn terrible. Oof. But what I like about it is that, you know, I I'm giving it almost like the slightest bit of a pass. Like it's getting a D only because I knew what hell she went through, which I think is a good part of project green light is movies are like impossible to make. Like every single one is a miracle. It's so freaking impossible. So I like that as someone who judges movies all the time, I like to just sort of know like, wow, this was hell for everybody involved and <laughs> I'll still judge them and I'll still judge them pretty fairly. But 
like I just think that there's got to be something different with this series because it just ends up like it hasn't made apparently like according to everything it hasn't made one good movie of, of the five seasons that's happened and so I think you have to like figure out a way that these mentors need to be holding their hands a little bit more or something because it's just not it's not working out the right way. I'm looking up Project Greenlight movies right now. Yeah, the first one was Battle of Shaker Heights. Uh, then this most recent one was uh, Gray Matter. Oh, Gray Matter, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it just and it's got one of my favorite actresses or one of my favorite new upcoming actresses, Mia Wallace. I think she's great. But yeah, the movie was just basically as Issa said it after the screening. It felt like a little bit way too long short film. And there's nothing wrong with short films, but you're expecting something different from a feature length. It also uh, the third season spawned Feast, the horror movie. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. All right. Yeah, I need to. I, I, I probably won't check that out. Let's. Be no, well. it's like it's something where I, I I was thankful for the process of doing it, but honestly, I think that they, they need to like overhaul their method somehow because what they're doing is just not terribly responsible. And I like the insight in how a movie's made, like yeah. you know, stuff I would have never known. But other than that, I think you know from a reality standpoint, they need to fix that up. So let's get to raves. My first one here is weird movies, <laughs> and I am all about weird movies. Why? I just like I don't know the Joe I met like a while ago wouldn't have been this sort of like you know loving the weird movies thing but I really I, wanna, I, I don't maybe not maybe I'm off on this but I just love weird shit and I like think back to like you know like Swiss Army Man with uh, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe was just weird as shit uh, it's funny because then I started thinking about Daniel Radcliffe movies that were weird like Guns Akimbo literally all of them except for Harry Potter that all dude is them. just that pat that dude has patents into the hell of it out of his career, and I love That's it. That's very, very true. Um, but you get, you know, like even Bo is afraid is a batshit weird oh, yeah. movie. And That's stuff. the one I thought of when you put that in a in a, in a rave. I was like, yep. But here's the one that I want to talk about because um my why is this doing this? My camera is being a dick today. Um, my so I have a, a screener right now that I haven't watched yet, but I'm very intrigued by this. I believe it's a Slavic movie, and it's here's the <laughs> Here's the synopsis. Christian, a millionaire heir, meets Sigrid, a young student on a dating app. They hit it off quietly, but there's only one problem. Oh, here it is. Christian lives with Frank, a man who dresses up and constantly acts like a dog. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, let's do it. Let's go nuts here. I think I forget if this was on the on mic or off mic last time, but you were deciding what to watch next week. And this was the one this you had the one. there. So I saw your face as you read that. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is a Joe movie. He's yeah. in. Yeah. Um, it was originally called you, me and Frank. Uh <laughs> <laughs> then they got a call from you, me and Dupree and said, Hey, yeah, yeah, do some off. <laughs> um, but like, uh, no, the reason I like, like, uh, who knows if this is a good movie or not. It seems really weird. I love weird concepts like this because there are a lot of weird ideas out there that don't necessarily fit the mold of what we see in blockbuster films or see even in theaters. Um, and one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing uh, guy at the movies over the past four years is he uh, is getting invited to watch some of these indie films that otherwise wouldn't be seen um, or that like others wouldn't have heard about unless I was able to watch and post a review about it. Um, and a lot of times there's some really good gems that pop up um, that, you know, don't really go anywhere, but they deserve to be, you know, credited for the, the quality that they are. Um, and a lot of them do have some weird, weird, weird um, uh, plots and, you know, 
on the flip side of that, I would also say that a lot of the top directors today have directed weird shit in the past. <laughs> like even like, go back and look at like the first films that a lot of screenwriters write um, or, or have written or like directors that have put together their, their, you know, student, uh, student film or whatever it is. Like a lot of them are weird fucking concepts and they're meant to kind of show what you can do with, you know, a story like that and how, you know, for this, if it ends up being a drama of some sort, like how can you take this weird concept and still try to bring people into it? Um, so I really do enjoy like for, but was afraid as uh, a blockbuster example of it. Um, it's a really weird fucking movie that I really enjoyed because it hooked me and it brought me into the concept and the world that it was building. So I, yeah, I'm just, I'm all about weird movies. I think they're so much fun. I'm excited to see how weird this one gets. Well, it's great. Cause we talk about also the, um, the, the second movie of a filmmaker um, and how that turns into sometimes a blank check type of movie. Yep. I think of Jordan Peele and us, Emma Seligman and bottoms. There's a myriad of examples, but uh, those two are definitely or, uh, Robert Eggers in the lighthouse. Like there's like where they just go extremely weird and they i you know who knows if they're actually given a blank check i'm calling them blank check movies just you know because it seems like they were given a lot more leeway a lot more runway so right, right. it seems like pretty close to a blank check movie and so i always like to see that you you can tell they're letting their freak flag fly freak flag <laughs> freak flag fly freaky flag fly freaky flag fly <laughs> So I got to talk about my rave and it is the Bridgeport Film Fest, which I spent this weekend at. Um, I've not been a film fest guy. I've not been a local film fest guy, mainly because I'm like, I don't I'm never going to know about these movies. I don't really need to see them. Boy, was I wrong. The these films ruled. They were all short films from independent creators um, and um, just like really cool to see people just express their art in a different way and like be in this community there was a fun after party and you know <laughs> sam was texting me like you know hey maybe if you leave at 11 that would be the best and i'm like sitting there talking with so many filmmakers and actors and i was like yeah no just until i finish this drink and then like i that's the right moment exactly when i ordered a drink um so <laughs> like but uh um i i really had a great time it was a great experience i want to really highlight i did i i led a q a of um these people that made this uh made this film AJ's story and it was a great film, but even more important is it was made by the Bronx film Institute, which is basically getting the youth like high school youth or, you know, high school or college youth and getting them involved in making movies at an early age. And, mm. um, the, the person that runs it really does give them a lot of freedom. I mean, of course she has to step in occasionally for many of the adult tasks, but I mean, like they really are in charge of the entire movie, where it comes from, where it starts. They said they wanted to do a movie about robbing a pharmacy. And so she said, oh, okay, so we need to, <laughs> so let, let's see where we can go from there. And it turns out to be this beautiful film about a foster family. And it's like really touching, really emotional. I got embarrassingly, I got slightly emotional on stage where I like actually forgot everything that I was supposed to say and all the questions for a moment. So I kind of like just made it a real world moment. It's like, guys, I gotta be honest with you. I totally forgot what questions to ask. So they just got very emotional. So, um, but then I, That's awesome. I, I was able to get myself back together. Um, and you know, like I, I now encourage people to go, go to these things more often. I, you know, um, at this point, Sam is kind of bummed. She missed it. She'll want to go next year. I think, I mean, we'll be a little bit busier next year, but uh, by then, get a babysitter. We, <laughs> by then, hopefully we figured out how the art of babysitting works or uh, finding a babysitter at least. And uh, we'll be able to handle that. But uh, no, I want to go back again. Um, I just like the local art and, you know, obviously Bridgeport is unfortunately famous for not being a great place to be. And, but 
you know, there's just so much talent in there. There's so much like love for arts and creation that it is, there's so much life in there. And it was a great community to be there. It was fairly packed and like, it's in this historic client auditorium. Everything about it was just so positive and it was like a highlight of a different type of culture that you normally don't see. And so I was just very happy to be a part of it. To run a and a was great. Even just to be there though was great. So in general, That's awesome. Bridgeport Film Festival, follow them on Instagram. Well, and short films kind of fall into that category of weird films for me too. There's so many (laughs) gems in short films that like maybe they're weird, maybe they're not, but like short films are really fucking good and um, they deserve more attention. And the Holly Shorts Film Festival uh, that I cover every year um, has just been a gem for finding those like young filmmakers or unique filmmakers and seeing what they do. But even hearing about a program like that uh, out of the Bronx is really exciting and it's uh great to give that some attention uh and similar programs like that yeah definitely all right coming out this week we have a haunting in venice <laughs> it's actually getting decent reviews. i was just gonna I say that I'm, I'm going tomorrow night <laughs> I'm, I'm going on thursday it's my thursday movie because i haven't had a thursday movie in like two freaking weeks because there's been nothing nothing so it's like, okay, I guess I'll go see a haunting in Venice, but it's looking kind of good. So I hope maybe Brada's finally figured out the formula for these weird Perot movies. But God, I, I have no hope for this one. So I'll be looking forward to being wrong. But yeah, we're also I, not the target audience. It's the baby boomers. Like it's like they're the ones that are keeping this alive. I guess so. I I, I just remember the de- death on the Nile was just a nightmare. So I'm ugh. <laughs> um Cassandro hits limited theaters, uh, and I'll have the my interview with the director up this week. Uh, a million miles away hits Prime Video, and El Condi hits Netflix. So some stuff on streaming this week. Uh, Cassandro will go to uh, uh, Amazon Prime Video next week, I believe. Oh, nice. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah uh sean anything else for the evening for the good of the order um i'm right now watching a pretty awesome movie from 2014 called pride um where um basically it's the uh, gay movement helps out the miners that are striking in england in the 80s and i'm only like granted i'm only 20 minutes into it but it's got like an absolutely stacked cast i feel you looking it up uh, right george now. mckay and everything george yep. mckay patty constantine amelda staunton bill knight no. who, who's just in every british dominic movie west existed. dominic west who i still haven't picked out i wonder if he comes in later but um then you got andrew scott hot priest baby this is like it's a, it's such a great cast and already in these first 20 minutes they just decided not to introduce anything and they're just like already at a pride parade and they're just like they didn't call it pride parades then i don't think but they're at a pride parade and then basically they um they just start supporting the miners and it's just like that's where that starts and i'm just like okay like they're, they're not even gonna like try to do some like sort of like you know hey let's talk about this guy's character for a little bit they're just immediately diving in and that energy alone is great patty constantine <laughs> plays one of the miners and he gets up a, a like a gay bar and has this like very heartfelt speech and he's straight but like and he feels like a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit worried and then like as it goes it gets better and better and patty constantine just rules anyway so i can't tell if i love this movie which i think i do or i just love this cast interacting which i think i do as well so i'm in how did you end up watching this it was on my watch list how did it end up on your watch list i don't know i once clicked on it to be on the watch list you you should see me every at the be on every first of every month it's just me clicking stuff that i've heard of before I we we can't spend any more time on this podcast. I have the system. Through this. Yeah, the system. The system is weird. The system does not fail me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Anyway, see you next time. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.